0: I'm Johnny, Varvel UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe, and even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Barbell UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more
0: great podcasts. Yes, so we're back again this week, and it's been quite a difficult one this week because half of the websites seem to be uh, indoctrinated into the wonderful university theme freshers weeks, which means they are probably six or seven pints down in a bar somewhere. No idea where they are. And that meant that I was panicking, throwing everything in the air, didn't know what to do to make matters worse. Callum, the wonderful usual co-host, who isn't in Freshers' Week, was at Brighton Leicester today, wasn't a happy bunny at the end, and he is still on his way back. So that made life even more complicated. But thankfully, wonderful Harry, who's basically deputy co-host, is back brimming with happiness uh, and another Steve Bruce masterclass on Friday night.
2: Yeah, delighted
0: <laughs> to be here or with Bruce. To be here, we'll,
2: yeah. we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about the football there. We? <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll do. Yeah, fantastic. And also, brief Varvel representative, much longer Liverpool Echo representative, Matt Addison. I did Google and saw that you actually did well way before I even did this, way before I was even char- in charge of the establishment. Absolutely delighted to have you on, Matt. Happy to be here. Yeah,
1: very much so. Uh, very much so. I'm looking forward to it, getting into Premier
0: League and, and Champions League and all the
1: rest of it. So yeah, always good to, to talk.
0: Fantastic. I, I never, I never actually prepare for if the guest says no to that. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe I should have something up my sleeve. But also to counter the Liverpool knowledge and think tank, we have wonderful James Ridge, Varvel Writer, all for United YouTube channel as well. I'm a writer, that's going quite well.
3: Yeah, it's, it's going all right, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And and that's a plug as well, by the way. So if you've not actually oh, thank you. watched thank it, you, very you, much. See, you see, if you've not actually watched it, then well, do yeah. watch it. What's, what's on if you're there? United fan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, I watched a bit of it. I think it's quite good, informative.
3: It'd be, I think you'd get that Arsenal fan TV experience if we lose a game. <laughs> I think that you should tune in. You should have tuned into the uh, post Young Boys one. I wasn't on that one, but I imagine it would have been a pretty entertaining from a neutral.
0: Uh, Matt might have found some entertainment with that, to be fair. I'd also love to see Newcastle fan TV, if that was ever a thing. Is that a thing, Harry? Is that a thing? It is a
2: thing, yeah. yeah it's quite a few going around now,
0: yeah. yeah as you can imagine. Of negative. I imagine, yeah, it's quite an experience to watch that uh, in action. But of course, we'll start with some of the main talking points, main games this weekend. I think no better place really to start. And from a neutral perspective for everyone, which would be, of course, the most recent, as we record, Tottenham. Chelsea game, which was Big Six Clash. Another game, really, that nailed down Chelsea's strong title credentials. If they weren't the favourites for all the title at the start of the season, it's looking, Harry, like they are the favourites for the title. Now, albeit a title race, I think, that is a four-horse race, many would agree.
2: Yeah, I would say it's a four-horse race, but I think we primarily said Manchester City and Chelsea would be the two main sort of favourites for that but it was a champions performance today from Chelsea they keep finding ways to win Tottenham a a tough place to come to it seems Man City got beat there on the opening weekend and Chelsea they had a tough first half I thought Spurs matched them in the opening 45 but in the second half Chelsea showed their class and dominated the second half and it could have been way more than 3-0 in the end.
0: Well, yeah, I think in the first half, it was a diamond. It seemed to catch Chelsea out. They had midfield dominance and Dombele, Ali, Hoyberg, and Co really, really stifling the Chelsea too. So then... You said Chelsea got a lot better in the second half, but James, was that down to maybe a tactical masterclass for Thomas Tuchel, bringing Mount off one of the more advanced midfielders for Kante, gave them a stronger hold in the middle of the pitch. And then in the second half, really, they overwhelmed Tottenham's midfield. And by doing that, they comfortably went on to win the game.
3: Yeah, I think any game that you you don't start and go Kante and you bring him on midway through, I think you're going to see two very different games. Uh, before and after he comes on. He's that sort of player, isn't he? There's a reason why he's as highly regarded as he is. Obviously, you could probably say he's a bit fortunate with his goal, but the, the, it's not what you expect from him. The, the impact he has on the, the whole team, on the whole game, you, you, you can't have not expected the game to change when Angolo Kante comes on.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful to bring someone like N'Golo Kante off the bench. One of the best midfielders in the world, certainly off the ball. It's not too bad on the ball either. And obviously he can hit balls onto defenders' legs and make them go into the back of the net. What can he not do? Um, yeah, I mean, Matt, from your point of view, obviously there was that battling performance at Anfield, the 1-1, which I think really... from a a Chelsea perspective, was quite a remarkable performance given that it's Liverpool, it's Anfield, they have the man advantage and and many expected them to win that game then. From your point of view now, after this 3-0 result, confident 3-0 result, do you see them, from your point of view, as the biggest challenger or do you still think it's a little bit too early to say we're only five games in and there's so many teams, well, four teams, that look like they can take, put hands on that silverware?
1: Uh, To be honest, I think at this stage from what I've seen of of Chelsea so far, it's a case of whoever comes ahead of Chelsea wins the Premier League, I think this season for me. I think they've just got such a a good squad. They've got the perfect manager. They've not really got any issues. We've seen a couple of maybe little cracks, you could say, with what Pep Guardiola has been saying and a few things uh, of what has happened this week with them, I think. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a, a sign there. I know it's, it's very early to start making claims of, of that sort of thing, but I, I wonder with them if, if there might be a couple of issues. With Chelsea, I just don't see that. I think you know, pretty much all the way across the pitch, if they get injuries, they've got depth, they've got quality all over the place, they've got goals... They obviously have the experience, they're the European champions. And to be honest, uh, I was really, really impressed with them. More impressed than what I thought I was going to be when I saw them in the flesh at Anfield, as you say. A really, really good performance. I think 11 v 11, they looked the better team. I don't think they were all played particularly perfectly on that day by any stretch of the imagination. But I was just so impressed with with the way that Chelsea set up. And, you know, you you mentioned the tactics before. I think when you've got a manager of, of Thomas Tuchel's quality, I think you know he's up there with with Klopp and and with Guardiola without a doubt and I think that's that's what sets those three teams apart for me in terms of of the title those are the three that I put as favorites and I know obviously Manchester United fans probably wouldn't agree with that but I think that is that is the difference for me I think those two are uh, those three sorry are absolutely world-class elite managers and I think they've got the the squads to to be able to to make the most of those coaches as well
0: yeah I mean Completely agree. the The squad depth is is interesting as well. I mean, today as well, Eduard Mendy, who I think, is a fantastic goalkeeper. Arguably third best in the league, probably behind Allison and Edison is not involved. And Kepra Riza Balaga, who had such a hard time under Frank Lampard's throne in, I thought he was excellent today. Really, really calm and composed. I think sort of symptomatic, really, of a manager who seems to find a way to get the absolute best out of every single player. Remember, Antonio Rudiger was finished under Frank Lampard. Now one of the best performing centre-backs in the league. Although some people come at, come at you then with the back three tax. fair enough, doesn't still... De- defy the fact that he is performing wonderfully well. And yeah, I, I, I don't think there's much to add other than the fact that Chelsea are flying, they've got squad depth and all over the pitch, they've got they've they've got a system that works, that gets the best out of all the individual players that they have. And well, I mean, like Matt said, I think anyone that finishes above them will probably have their hands on, it, on the trophy. But we, again, four horse race, we'll have to wait and see. Tottenham though, interesting Harry because... 3 one wins in a row. Nuno Espirito Santo wins manager of the month. Nightmarish result last week to Crystal Palace. uh, Almost a Murphy's Law game. Anything that could go wrong would go wrong. Today, bounce back for 45 minutes. Nuno didn't have the in-game management to counter Thomas Tuchel's in-game management in the second half. It all ended rather miserably. I said last week, I think Tottenham are fighting for relevance, not top four. Anything to counter that, really? Because... I know there's a lot of criticism coming in for Nuno Espirito Santo and his way of football, but that club is in a mess and it was in a mess before he came and it's still in a mess now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with what you've just said there. I don't think Tottenham will be fighting for Champions League and they might even struggle to get Europa League. A 3-0 defeat today as well to a London rival. They're off to Arsenal next week. It can't be good for them, regardless of how bang average I think Arsenal are at the minute. We all know Derby games are essentially a, a, a write-off on form and the are momentum base, but you've got to hope for their sake so they can get a result against Wolves in, in midweek in the Cup and, and go into that game with some form of confidence because you do feel for them, really. If they've faltered on the big occasion today, they also could do next weekend.
0: Mm. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting... I mean, I said eighth, I think, at the start of the season for Tottenham and after the first three games, I thought, oh... Maybe not, but now I'm looking and thinking, yeah, it doesn't look like a top six club. Harry Kane looks lost again today. And yeah, there's so, so much, so off the page. I mean, the, the, the Kane staying thing to me even was a bit of a, a red herring almost because you think, oh, they could actually build here, but it just doesn't look like he's got the same gravitas that he had last season when maybe his head was in it, his heart was in it, and the club under Jose Mourinho were trying to push for things, but it's all unravelled so quickly and it just looks like a mess. But anyway... On to slightly more optimism or optimistic things from a Man United pet perspective. We talked, James, a little bit about how Chelsea were possibly the team to beat, the best team in the league at present. But surely Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team can counter that a little bit. They've got a Galactico set up there, haven't they, at the moment? And one of the biggest names on the pitch, Jesse Lingard, with the winner at the end. I mean, it's quite incredible, isn't it, how arguably going into the season, people were thinking Dean Henderson was going to be the number one. David De Gea has actually kept his place and done really well, making a brilliant penalty save at the end. And then Jesse Lingard as well, popping up with the winner. It's the forgotten men that are propping up the Galacticos a little bit.
3: Yeah, certainly to today anyway. Um, It was quite a a romantic story today's game, uh, especially that last five minutes. You know, you've got Lingard, well as you said, the forgotten man, he traveling against against the club that sort of revitalized his career and he's he snatches the winner. And then you've got De Gea, obviously the, the Europa League final. Didn't get a plan for him. Got under all sorts of scrutiny for his lack of penalty saves. The the, the meta, opinion around the club would be that he wouldn't survive the summer. And and here he is saving the penalty that, that keeps us joint top of the league. So, yeah, in terms of, you know, the, the whole story, it was quite a nice game.
0: Yeah, I mean... David De Gea hadn't saved a penalty until twenty since 2016. Forty penalties have gone past David De Gea up until this point. So when Mark Noble came off the bench in very Gareth Southgate esque fashion, uh, with his wonderful penalty record, you, I think we all expected the result really to be well to be an equaliser. But at the same time, Matt, it's very weird, isn't it? almost echoing the European Championship final, to bring a player off the bench, this time not even for even a minute's warm up for, but for one kick of a football, with no preparation, with no with no time to really adjust on the field. It, it was a really strange decision from David Moyes, wasn't it? I mean, I suppose it all happened so fast, it was all frenetic. He was acting on instinct, but even so, from a manager of his experience, it seemed a bit of a, a misstep.
1: Yeah, it was a strange one to me. I know you say you you expect him to score, but I I thought the opposite. To be honest, I think when when a player comes on, he's cold, he's not not played the whole game. He's he's obviously coming into a, a big moment like that. I think it's it's a lot of pressure really. And I think to make that even worse, obviously it's it's a VAR call. It's one that takes a little while to to decide. Is it going to be given? Is it not? And and that sort of thing. And I don't know. It, it just it didn't felt it didn't feel quite right to me when it when he came on and, and took that and. I know he's got an excellent record, but I just think there's there's other players on that pitch. I'd have fancied Declan Rice to, to score mm-hmm. that. There's one or two mm-hmm. others on there that you'd you think could be capable of it. and it, it just felt like a bit of a weird one to me. To be honest, I'm not sure. I didn't see any of the, the post-match stuff or, or anything. I don't know whether it was a case of, of Mark Noble saying, bring me on, I want to take it, or whether the manager had, mm-hmm. had gone to him and, and said, look, you're our penalty man, do you, do you want to go on? But mm-hmm. I don't know. Whichever way around it is, it, it just it doesn't feel quite right to me that, that that's the case. and. Obviously, it can go one or two ways, can't it? If he scores, we all sit here and say it's it's a masterclass and it's a brilliant bit of business from, from him to, to do that. But yeah, it, to, to me, when he came on, I just thought it's been such a long wait to, to give the penalty. He's come on, he's not warmed up, he's not in the, the rhythm of the game. It, it just felt a little bit weird to me. And yeah, unfortunately for him, it, it didn't quite happen for him.
0: I could only imagine Harry's reaction if Steve Bruce brought a player on uh, to take a penalty and he ballooned it over the bar or something. I mean, that would be something I imagine he laughs uh, because you don't have the ability to see what they actually do on the the podcast. Hence, it's a podcast. But I would say that um, from a West Ham point of view, Harry, another competitive game without Antonio as well on the pitch, they are... You know, I mean, the, the, that is the issue, isn't it? I suppose they do look slightly lacking a focal point without Antonio up front. With Antonio, you can go long, direct. You can play through the middle. You've got a bit more variety. It's a bit more difficult for them to do that today, but they were still very competitive against a Man United team of superstars. Do you think it's realistic that they can keep going till the end of the season, fighting in Europe and the Premier League? We saw Leicester do it last year, getting to uh, the knockouts of the Europa League and finishing fifth and having an FA Cup trophy at the end of it.
2: I don't think they'll be able to replicate what Leicester have done because I just think they don't have the squad size for it. We've seen Antonio's, you know, I was or suspended. It's Vlasic leading the line, not a natural striker. But they're a very good side. They've surprised me this season. I must say, I think I had them down as 14th or something in my predictions before the season. I just thought that Europe, Premier League balance, it, it may come to that, but I just thought they wouldn't have the squad size to deal with it. But so far they they've had a they've had a really good start to the season and i expect them to continue that but i don't think they'll they'll be back in the european spots but i do think top 10 is a, mm. a realistic possibility for them
0: i would agree would agree uh onto again back to united james uh it was a, it was a win really that that sort of looked like the united it, it didn't defy the the criticisms of the oligarchal way in that again was it the system or the tactics that were doing it or was it more an individual taking the game by the scruff of the neck, shifting inside and scoring a wonderful goal? Is the emphasis on individual quality something that should be embraced? Because you, as a club, you have so many wonderful individual players, Paul Pogba, Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, Gerard Sancho, etc.? Or does there need to be more of a system to integrate all these players together like you see at maybe a Liverpool or a Chelsea or a Manchester City?
3: I think it sort of goes both ways because I think you know this is not a knock on sort of neutral funds because it comes from United funds themselves who aren't a fan of Oli. I think the the whole relying on individual brilliance thing is very much overplayed uh, in the especially on social media because you know it also goes under the radar that we had a lot of good chances to score and Fabianski was in inspired form today. It could with the balance of chances it could have probably been four or five if Fabianski wasn't in as good a form as he was. Um, so, yes, it took that little bit of individual brilliance to get us over the line. but And it has done on many occasions. Listen, Oli's not exempt from the, from that um, criticism. But I also think, you know, with, with the players, with the calibre of players we've signed as well, it's very hard to integrate them straight away. Obviously, Ronaldo's hit the ground running, but the, you, you'd expect that from him. He's almost superhuman at this point. But, um, yeah, it, it is a criticism of Oli. There's no defined style. But um, I think... You know, unless we're looking at the best managers in the world, in a, a Tuchel, a Klopp, a Pep, there's not many managers you, you could put, sit and look at. Oh, yeah, obviously, Sean Dyche as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's too many managers outside of, you know, the, the real elite group that you can look at and think this is their definitive style, mm. especially a, a, an attacking team as well. I like get, you know, it's, it's very easy to look at the, the lesser teams in, that, in terms of league position. Um, and say, well, yes, they're they're very good at counter-attacking, they're very good at sitting back and absorbing pressure and that sort of thing. But for a team like United who want to attack, and, you know, Oli, I'll I'll happily admit, he's not in that bracket of of Klopp and Pep. I think the fact that he doesn't have a a recognised style of play isn't necessarily a a bad thing. Uh, And, yeah, it's it's been a very long-winded answer, but I think that we have shown on a number of occasions that we do have patterns of play where it's not entirely reliant on one of the many superstars mm-hmm. in that lineup, um, But yeah, I, I, on the other hand, there is a worrying amount of times where we just can't quite get over that final hurdle, whether that's a lack of clinical finishing or what. And, and sometimes we do rely on individual brilliance. But I think a lot of teams do as well.
0: That's a fair point. Well, well-rounded well answer. And I don't necessarily agree with the Ollie out critics either. I think there's a lot more to it than some people are master tacticians. I think one thing Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is a master at is, is, is his is his player management, is his, is the morale that he's created within that squad, certainly something his predecessor couldn't do. And keeping together all those superstars that takes a certain kind of character and a certain kind of person. And I think he's done wonderfully well to sort of mould all of that together and keep United in the hunt. Whether or not he's got the tactical nuances of his competitors is another story. As you've sort of alluded to, he probably hasn't quite got that. But you should, we shouldn't understate, I don't think, the way in which he's kept morale high, kept the squad together and and showed a really good sense of of player management across the squad, I think in terms of Liverpool, Matt, it's obviously I was quite impressed, really. From the sense that neither starting fullback was on display against Crystal Palace. Arguably, the two biggest creators in that Liverpool team, Trent Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson. So, to come away with a 3 0 win against a Palace team that have just beaten Spurs 3 0, it must be really pleasing to see that and uh, see that Liverpool again aren't, reliant, aren't overly reliant sorry, on their main two fullbacks. They can find a way to do it without them.
1: Yeah, Kostas, Simikas in particular has, has been a real bonus this season, obviously. Last season, you you would have been a little bit worried if Andy Robertson missed the first couple of games, or if you know you wanted to to rotate him, and he's obviously come in and, and done really well. Same for for James Milner, I thought was excellent yesterday. Obviously coming up against Wilfred Zaha, I think quite a few Liverpool fans would have been quite worried about that. I know a lot of people lumped a fair bit of money on him getting a yellow card, which he somehow managed to to escape. You, you thought that would probably be inevitable, given you know the, the player that he was coming up against on that side of the pitch, but. I think it, it just, for me, underlines the point that Liverpool don't have the, the squad depth of the other three uh, title contenders, but it's not maybe as, as bad as, as what people think. Obviously, Liverpool fans desperate for, for more transfers and, and stuff like that during the summer for, for more players to come in. But, you know, the, there is there is a level of, of depth there. Obviously, last season exacerbated it with all of the injuries coming in in one particular place. They've sorted that with Ibrahim Oconate coming in, who again thought was excellent against Palace, obviously the first minutes for him in a Liverpool shirt. But I think what it shows for me is that even with a couple of, you know, illness, injury, rotation, all of those things, Liverpool have still been fairly comfortable against Palace. And and to be honest, could have scored one or two more. Diogo Jota should have scored at least once, if not twice. There's a couple Mm. of other sort of big chances in there. The fact that Liverpool are sort of put into bed a team like Palace, who, like you say, have, have been decent this season. Again, have been far better than what I thought they were going to be. I do think it's it's a good sign. And it, it should, I think, be ominous to, to a few other teams that come to Anfield. One That was one of the biggest things for me last season was that teams, you know, Burnley, for example, came to, to Anfield and thought that they could win and went for it, where, you know, the season before... Did win, think, didn't they,
0: Matt, I think.
1: They did win, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think that the season before, maybe the mentality would have been slightly different and I think it, it's about sort of building up that fortress again because you know, Liverpool in previous seasons have, have relied upon that and have sort of been able to, to cruise through a few games which has then helped them because they haven't had to, to exert themselves as much yeah. and, and all of the knock-on effects so yeah it's it's really important that Liverpool keep up that momentum and, and keep going in, in that regard but yeah it, it was all positive and I think it, it does sort of go to show that they've got maybe a, a slightly better squad than than what one or two people might have thought.
0: I think so as well. I, th- I think it helps having the, the big issue obviously last season as well Harry really was uh, centre back issues. I mean it was a ridiculous amount of injuries at centre back and obviously Canarte the sole signing has come into play Van Dijk's back, Joe Gomez is back, mattip has been fantastic when he's played this season and when you have that 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 double that partnership, centre back partnership the, the really strong centre back partnership which really rivals I think anything in the league in terms of centre back departments. Uh, when you have that sorted out good and proper. It means Fabinho can be in the in the sixth position, or you've got Henderson in the sixth position if Fabinho can't be there. But again, that's a really strong defensive shield complemented with Allison in goal as well. And it means that when some of the forwards do miss opportunities like they did last season, like they do this season, there's less consequence, I think, for it, isn't there? So this season, I mean against Leeds it could have been 8-0 last week, for example. But in maybe the season before with less of a strong defensive shield, Leeds are probably on the score sheet. And then the there is a worry, there is a panic that the missed chances will come as a consequence later in the game. But it's less of a problem now when all of those defensive options are back because they have a world-class defence, world-class goalkeeper and a world-class defensive midfielder.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's massive for them to have Van Dyke back. But I think the biggest thing that's going to give Liverpool the edge of the season over all the injuries and all the issues they had last season was having the crowd back and Anfield's a fortress, once again, I think we're seeing that. But like you said about Fabinho, that it, with the defence being back full strength, it means the midfield's also back to full strength as well. And having Fabinho in that number six area, just it just helps them a lot more, I think. But Liverpool, I think a lot of people wrote them off at the start of the season, but they're going to be up there. And like Matt said about Chelsea, Chelsea are the ones to beat. But if anyone who does finish above them is going to win the title, and don't write Liverpool off. I think no. that's, the, that's the main thing.
0: No, very, very well put. I think they've been very impressive this season, actually, because they've got that solidity back at the back. And even though they've been missing chances, all of the th- front three, really, uh, and, and others in, in those fields have been missing chances. They've still been very, very impressive in terms of game management as well. Yeah, I think they've probably been the second most impressive team outside of Chelsea, to be honest with you. Maybe Manchester City, would have said, were, we're up there as well. But there's a bit of a, a stutter this weekend. I mean, I never saw because I had Liver as my second substitute, and because half of my players have COVID on my fantasy football team, he's coming in for his for his trusty five-pointer. But Manchester City have won their past few, three home games, I believe, 5-0, 5-0 or against Everton on the final day of last season, 5-0 um, against Norwich, and then 5-0 against Arsenal. So... Who saw the nil-nil coming? I mean, it, it, remarkable, really. But one thing I would note, James, really, is the, is the way that Ralph Hasenhutl looked, looked at how City have faltered in the past playing against a back five, and he kept with the back five that they got a nil-nil with last week against West Ham, Livramento and Walker Peters at, at, at wing back, in the wing-back slots. And they really did cause a problem for City in terms of where, when they were trying to build up. They had one shot on target in the whole game. So, Hassan, who till masterclass?
3: Um, I'd say so, yeah. it was a, he, He's got a knack of doing it, hasn't he? I think Southampton, are for a large portion of each season, they're quite underwhelming, and then they seem to sort of pull it out of the bag in certain games. Like They were very, very good against us earlier in the season as well. Mm-hmm. They were probably unfortunate not to win if they'd have buried their chances. But I think that you, you've also got to sort of ask questions of City, a team of their quality. It, it, you can understand sort of, when they drop points and it's just not gone their way, you know they've missed some big chances, and you know you could see that they probably deserved a win. But I think in this game, it, it was pretty even, if not in the in the fashion of Southampton. I think that's what's worrying for City. They weren't creating the sort of chances they usually do. They didn't look as fluid as they usually do. Obviously, it's it's a rotated squad, but when you've got the quality that they have in abundance to rotate, you, you, I still think you should be expecting more from them.
0: Yeah, I mean Guardiola said they didn't have enough time to prepare, which made me laugh. Um, to be fair. I, I I like the excuses of some of the bigger managers, and that one did make me chuckle. I think he said we had 10 minutes um the day before to prepare, which again was a little dig at scheduling. But yeah, I mean I mean it what, it did come out of the blue a little bit because they have been blowing teams away. They obviously got the 1-0 against Leicester as well. Ah, uh, I think it's it's interesting because. People will say they need a striker, they need a striker, they needed a striker, but in actual fact, they won the league without a striker. They got to the Champions League final without a striker. They win the Champions League final, they win the treble. So it's not necessarily, I think, that they need a striker, but I suppose it's about maintaining those high standards of creation, isn't it? And is, is there a bit of, I suppose, on the back of a 6-3 win against RB Leipzig, a little bit of complacency dropping in because, hey, we've just beaten a really good team in Germany, now we play Southampton, Matt. Do you think there's sometimes... The way they play, there's got to be a lot of focus on the way they move the ball, when the speed they move the ball at. Is is it just simply that sometimes they're a little bit off it mentally? They're just not quite with it.
1: Possibly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to to use the word complacent with them because, like you say, they've they've done it for for so many seasons, so many years with Guardiola. I think it'd be quite harsh to to use that word. To be honest, I slightly disagree with you about the striker. I think they do need a striker. I do think that's that's a missing piece, and that makes it all the more baffling to me that they spent £100 million on Jack Grealish when they've already got four or five players who do virtually the same thing and didn't mm. put that money towards getting a Lukaku or a Harry Kane or whoever it might have been. I think that would have mm. been a more sensible allocation of what is a vast amount of, of funds. So... Yeah, look, they, they didn't do that. They're going to have to go and, and try and, and do it without. They've done it before without. It's not been an issue in the past. They can certainly be right up there. But I think for me, if if they'd have had a striker, those are the kind of games where we have seen it a few times in the past. They, they sort of needed that, that that flat-track bully almost to, to come in and, and just win them that game. I think if if Chelsea do finish ahead of them, I think that'll be, that'll be the difference for me is that Chelsea have got... Romelu Lukaku, who can win you a game one nil, even when you don't particularly play that well, and, and maybe City haven't. But yeah, we know that the style of play. It's slightly contradictory in the fact that you know we're saying these things and criticising them, even though they've won so many things and been so brilliant. But. Yeah, that, that that would be the question mark that I'd have of if you're that desperate for a striker, why have you spent £100 million on a player who is probably not that much better than the uh, creators you've already got?
0: That's a fair point to be I don't disagree with that. I just sort of make the point that they were one game away last season from winning a treble without a striker. And they said, oh, how are they going to replace Aguero who didn't play really for virtually an entire season? But you're right. I do think that certainly when you look at that, the, when you've got the likes of Bernardo Silva, Gundua and Foden... De Bruyne, uh, you you there is an there's an excess of creative talents and yeah you're right I do think there is a gaping hole. Well, Ferran Torres when he has played didn't actually he was rested actually uh, against Southampton but he has shown signs that he could be quite effective in that number nine role. Uh, Harry Newcastle have a striker. He wasn't playing. He, the, uh, Callum Wilson was injured. Joe Linton was playing, but they also got an absolute one of my favourite players to watch, Alan St. Maximan, really. And in that Friday night game it was quite negative at st james's park but st maximan it was basically it felt at times like st maximan versus leeds but st maximan did get a point for newcastle in that game first of all he's a remarkable player isn't he and secondly with a bit with a bit of a, a emphasis on the opposite side of things one st maximan great but then the rest of the situation not too good is it at present for newcastle
2: He's the shining light, really, at the minute for Newcastle. I've said this countless times on this podcast. It's an absolute joy to watch Alan St-Maximin. He's the best player I've seen at this club in the last decade. He's going to go on to bigger and, and better things, I think, at the end of this season, which is unfortunate for us, but that's the position we're in at the minute. We can't control that. But on to the game, we played pretty decent, similar to the Man United game, but we didn't win the match. You're at home playing at a side that have also not won a, a game this season. It's a, it's a disappointing result, really. Thought Leeds brought it as well; they were great. It was it was a game that could have went either ways. It was a fair result in the end, but it's it's the same issues that are, are creeping up every single week. The defense is is an absolute shambles. It's awful in games being able to score one or two goals in a game, but when you concede three or four in the same match, it's it's going to end in relegation. And I feel that every Newcastle fan is saying the same thing here. Until something changes with the owner or with the manager, it the writing's on the wall, and it doesn't take a genius to think about what I'm gonna say.
0: No, I mean, I mean to be fair, it's nice to see Carl Darlow back between the sticks because Carl Darlow's a significant upgrade on, on Freddie Woodman and of course Dubravka as well is a v- probably an upgrade on Darlow as well but toss of a coin some people quite like Darlow as well so it's, a, it's an upgrade in that sense and he did have quite a solid game didn't he Darlow against against Leeds he, he, he pulled off some decent stops he looked quite commanding he had one iffy moment didn't he in the game where I think he sort of came about flying off his line didn't quite work out but yeah I think on the whole not too bad but generally then because of course at Leeds there, is, there isn't that negativity there's a sense that they're in bad form but with Bielsa it will come good eventually, once they get the fitness back, once they get back in the rhythm, it's quite positive there. And obviously it's not the same at Newcastle, Harry. And from your point of view, what I know what you're going to say, but what what would you like to see happen in the coming weeks?
2: Well, I'd like a new owner at the football club, but I've got to be realistic. And even, I think it's unrealistic to say we're going to get a new manager. I've joked to you, Johnny, and said, his job is as safe as Jurgen Klopp's. And I, I do believe that. He's won seven games in 35, I think it is now, which is his relegation form. You know, I think any other manager in England would have been sacked if they'd done the same job. But this is the way to do it. But he's doing his best,
0: Harry. I
2: don't believe he's. Is he, maybe he's doing his best, but they had to get a, a head coach in Graham Jones to. It's been to a help bit sarcastic then, sorry. It's been a bit yeah, sarcastic, sorry. But you, we talked about the change of formation in the game as well, mm. which, which ultimately got us the result in the end. We went from the back five, which was shipping goals left, right and centre, went to a back four, which worked a lot better. Integrated St Maximan a lot more into the game, but it seemed on the touchline it was Graeme Jones that was the influence behind that. But no, not a great time to support Newcastle, but the one thing is it's always entertaining and it's never boring. So mm. well, at least we've got that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I am sure. I mean, you are actually one point ahead of Burnley at present in the, in the Premier League. It wasn't the best game to watch. Well, it wasn't too bad, actually, to be fair. Yesterday against Arsenal, it was a competitive game. Uh, with with an Arsenal team that was slightly more resurgent than I expected. And I will say, actually, that the the performance of Aaron Ramsdale really did impress me because I'm sure many of us thought why are they spending that kind of money, 24 million, maybe 30 with add-ons, on a goalkeeper that's been relegated twice and that's had some, some mistakes, quite high-profile mistakes, shown in, in, re, in these past couple of seasons. But he was... So very composed and a complete contrast to the Leno that we saw at the start of the season that looked a little bit off in terms of his concentration. Ramsdale was good with his good with his uh, commanding of his box. He was excellent with his distribution. He was passing it out mid-range passes, short-range passes, long-range passes, really, really effectively, really accurately. And he was leading. He was leading from the back. And of course, with Tommy Asu in the defence and with Gabriel there and and Ben White and Tierney, that's probably the best Arsenal defence and goalkeeper combination they have. And with Partey just sat in front of that, they look really, really solid and composed. Now, obviously, they'll probably face more attacking threats going forward, but... I would say certainly after that awful form pre international break James there is a little bit of optimism now for Arsenal now that they've got us what looks to be their main back four and their new goalkeeper in the starting 11.
3: Um maybe yeah it's on paper it should be a, a good Arsenal team that probably shouldn't be in the position they're in but I think you know no disrespect to Burnley or uh, or mm. Norwich but they they've yeah, effectively scraped past to Relegation candidates, as their two wins so far, and I think that, with how massively they were outplayed in their um, losses, I think that would be more of a worry. But yeah, there is definitely positives around Arsenal. Obviously, you have to be pretty foolish to say Ramsdale was not a good goalkeeper. He's mm. found himself the last two seasons behind probably the worst defenses in the league each season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at it statistically; he's overperforming his xG mm. or expected goals conceded every season. So you know, there's a good goalkeeper in there and he's young, so it'll, it'll, it'll improve. But, yeah, I think Arsenal are around that Spurs line where, you know, there's no doubt in are a good team, but I don't think they're going to be troubling the, your top four or maybe even your top six.
0: Hmm. I feel like I feel like the transition was very good, how they got the ball to the attacking players. You had Odegaard and Smith-Rowe just playing off. Uh, Aubameyang, Saka and and, and, and Pepe. And they were sort of getting the ball forward into those positions really convincingly. But once they got to the final third, it was very, very slow, a bit pedantic at times. It didn't look like there was that fluency that there was getting the ball up the pitch. So I think that's something they probably need to work on. Of course, it's nice to be able to play the ball out from the back, but to get it to those positions And then be so slow and and wasteful when getting there. So that had been Manchester City, I think they'd won probably 3-0, to be honest with you. But the fact that they couldn't make the most out of those transitions in the the attacking third, in the Burnley defensive third, I think meant the game went on further and on further. And then Burnley could have maybe got a point out of it with a bit more luck in the end. So, yeah, I, I think there's still a long way to go, but there's certainly some promise with... How they're playing, certainly with regards to with, with reference to how they were playing pre international break or the first international break. Um, Matt Everton, Rafa Benitez, Agent Rafa was training on Twitter yesterday, um, which is quite amusing because he's done such a good job so far. But it was an absolute disaster class, disaster class, uh, disaster class in the uh, game against Aston Villa because. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, when you have Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin out, that's a very big problem because Rondon, who hasn't started a match since May, comes in, and you're asking for trouble against an Aston Villa team with a two-pronged attack of, of Watkins, two-pronged attack of Watkins and Ings, and some wonderful players in behind that in a three-five-two. I, I looked at the lineups and thought this is a Villa win all day long. Not much Benitez can do with that when you know your two your two front men are out.
1: Yeah, and no, goalkeeper it's, it's, Pickford as well,
0: Begovic. Yeah, of
1: course. Yeah, yeah. It's a it, it's it's a difficult situation, isn't it for for him? I think, like you say, he's he's done a good job so far. I think to to even have got this far without being booed and without being you know in complete chaos off the field is is a massive win for him just in itself, to be honest. So, yeah, look, I, I think if it wasn't Everton, none of us would have any doubts of the job that, that he could do there. I think he's a really good manager. He's proven that. A lot. Um, I'm sure, you know, plenty of, of Newcastle fans, for example, would, would agree with that. Obviously, you know, he's done it for Liverpool. He's done it elsewhere. Wherever he goes, he, he does improve teams. And I think, you know, tactically, he's, he's a really, really good manager. He's not the most exciting at times, but I think he, he will get Everton to a certain point. I think that the question with Everton is always, what is the expectation? How far do they want him to take it, you know, long term? How how much investment are they going to have to put in? They've spent a lot of money over the last few years to try and get into Europe consistently. Mm. It's it's not quite happened. I'm not quite sure Rafa's got the ceiling to to do that and, and go that far with them. But I think They'll be they'll be there or thereabouts. They'll certainly be top half. They'll mm. be absolutely fine, and they mm. will have you know a few decent results. Obviously, you know, it's doing you no say, worse I mean, than
0: Carlo Ancelotti either, who spent quite a lot of money in the summer, and and and. Well, of course, yeah, I mean Raff, Raff, Raff
1: has not spent hardly anything, has no? he? I mean, Murray, the Murray Gray I think is is a decent signing. Andros Townsend again, good signing. Again, it is that question mark of good signings, but are they gonna take them to the next level? Not quite sure on that. But yeah, look, I have no no question marks over Rafa. Really mm. really good manager. And if it wasn't Everton, you'd you'd be a hundred percent sure that it would be uh pretty much a, a win for him, whichever club it had been.
0: Yeah, no, I completely well, it would have been for Harry. I mean, he's he's not he's still mourning the loss of Benitez um, to this day. Not too, not as enamoured, I suppose, with the current manager, but hey, we'll, we'll move on from the Newcastle discussion. Won't, won't burden you with that. Again, Harry actually got a message from Callum saying how angry is still about the result again. And he asked me to ask you all uh, about the implementation of VAR. I mean, in the Brighton Leicester games was actually going on at the same time as the game West Ham v Man United, which we all we were all watching, but Brighton won 2 1. Brighton much the stronger team in the first half Leicester in the second got back into it and probably should have got a point at the very least and at the end of some really dodgy VAR decisions Josh Holland who writes for uh well editor verbal editor for Aston Villa and Wolves and also writes for Leicester as well noted on his Twitter there were three VAR decisions in that game against Leicester City uh there's a penalty against Vestergaard which was actually the wrong decision for a a tussle with Pai and it looked actually like it was more the other way around then we had a Luckman goal that was disallowed disallowed by a Barnes offside which was correct but then we also had another goal disallowed an Ndidi header that was ruled out because of a Barnes offside and that was probably deemed to be incorrect, really. So two VAR decisions, really, that went against Leicester that shouldn't have gone against Leicester. In actual fact, we with the Manchester City-Southampton game as well, we also saw a Kyle Walker red card overturned. And I watched it again and I thought, I don't know why they've come to that conclusion because Southampton would have had a penalty. It was 10 men. Walker looked like... Well, I you know, I imagine with the with the sort of hook challenge, it looked like, oh, maybe he did get the ball, but if you look at it, he didn't. So there's been a few VAR decisions this week two against Leicester in that period as well even though I think it's been a really big improvement this year do you think generally Harry that there could be a little bit better use of it across the board because we're still getting quite a few wrong decisions when we're looking at it and thinking actually you know quite clearly quite clearly VAR is wrong well not VAR is wrong but the implementation of it is wrong
2: it's bizarre because some weekends it's great and sometimes it isn't like the Newcastle-Aston Villa games are one that you might know this one where we got a penalty. Martinez took out Callum Wilson. Yeah. Then they pulled it back for an offside, and then you look at it and he's he's not actually offside. But there, there's been a few this weekend. I think James will know this one about Ronaldo. I think he could have had two penalties today. Mm-hmm. Arguably, there was a one in the Leeds mm-hmm. game against Newcastle where Dan James was took down on the box by Joel so that that was looked a like a, That looked <laughs> like a penalty, and it wasn't given. So there's been loads, but the. Leicester one's a is a different one because I have seen a thing on Twitter, I've not seen the game, I've not seen the highlights, but they're saying if VAR was implemented correctly, it would have been three one to Leicester today. Yeah. So you can see it's been a it's been a difficult start the season for them, really. I think that's a, that third defeat for them this season. So mm-hmm. if they're looking for Champions League already, three defeats is not a it's not Champions League credentials? It really
0: mm. as I say, it's difficult, like you say. You do watch those challenges and two of th- those incidents. Sorry, those three incidents. I saw the three incidents, and if, as you say, two of them shouldn't be given. So Brighton's first goal shouldn't really be a penalty. Then Leicester should have another goal, like you say, Harry. I mean, you you did that much better than me. But that would be three one if VAR had been uh, implemented correctly, or, or or what we imagine. Again, I mean, it, it sounds like it's really difficult because it's not VAR's fault. VAR is fine. VAR is providing the imagery, as, as we all note, for what we see. And it's supposed to eradicate these mistakes. If anything, if these decisions were being made and VAR wasn't there, we'd be saying, well, where's VAR? So it's one of those, isn't it? But I suppose, James, does it highlight really the, certainly when you look at the European Championships, does it highlight our lack of high level officiating compared to maybe some across Europe?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very worrying. You saw it, it was a nice surprise, but getting to the Euros having you know refs from outside of England, and you're thinking this this is a really well officiated game. This is there's no frustration there, there's no anger, even with VAR. So um, I, I can't remember who it was as well as an English ref over the international break who sent someone off for a second yellow despite not giving them the first yellow. That just sums it all up. Um, efficiency. So yeah, yeah. Mm. So it, it is worrying and not really sure what we do about it because I don't think we've ever been below par refereeing wise. I'm sure it's usually been England that sets the standard. So I think something needs to seriously be looked at. I don't know if it's egos or what, but Mm. we've seen with with referees like Mike Dean, they tend to try and steal the show, if anything, and, you know, give decisions to make headlines or or something. Obviously, it's all conspiracy theory, but it does just feel like there's a bit of an ego in a ref now. And I think with some of the decisions that haven't been overturned, it just feels like they they don't really want to undermine themselves and uh, make themselves or admit that they got a decision wrong.
0: Hmm. So to be fair I'm going to balance it out slightly because there was a game the Burnley game actually Matej Vidra and I saw this quite clearly clear wasn't a penalty when Ramsdale uh, came out to meet Vidra in a 1v1 Ramsdale got the uh, knocked the ball onto Vidra sorry he got he came out from the ball and he gets the ball straight away with with his dive it's quite clearly he doesn't knock Vidra over but Vidra goes over the penalty's given obviously from my angle, it, from the other angle, from the referee's angle, it looks like it's not going to be given from my angle in the, in the, in the stand, in the crowd, it was so obvious, not a penalty. And I said straight away, VAR will rule this out. And it did. Now, as much as I'm sad about that, because it was my team that was affected by it, I completely understood it and thought that is how effective VAR can be when implemented properly. That's clearly never a penalty. It's going to be overturned and it was overturned. So when you watch it like that, and it was quite clear what was going on. No problems. But it must be so infuriating, like I say, from, from Callum's point of view. And I laugh with a, almost grimace because, again, it, it was a very closely fought game that's that's decided really by poor refereeing. But poor referee, this isn't an excuse anymore. Surely now we're in an era where we're in a moment where technology should mean that poor, poor officiator doesn't really exist. Other than, as James said, if the ego wants to prevail and, and make it all about them, Matt.
1: Well, I mean, let's let's talk about the Euros point first. I know mm. everyone's sort of saying how, how impressive the Euros were, but I mean, there's a couple of things to, to dig into with that. One of them is that there was a lot more officials working on the games. So that's yep. why it was quicker with the VAR calls. And the other thing is, it's the best referee or the best two referees from each of the countries. It, it, it's essentially like having Michael Oliver refereeing every single Premier League match, which obviously he's you to clone him.
0: Would, Genetically yeah, modified can, Michael Oliver.
1: Unfortunately, for a normal Premier League when weekend, there's, there is only one Michael Oliver, and you do have to use a few of the others who, who are not quite as good. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think, yeah, there's been a few poor decisions. I think it's been on the whole better than what it was last season. Yeah. Um, I think you know we'd agree on that. But yeah, look, I think it, for me, it's it's more more problematic if you if you take it away. I think we have to, to improve it and, and get it better but it's not going anywhere, so we might as well just just get on with it and, and try and, and work, work a way of everybody accepting it. People don't like change, and I accept that, but for me, it's, it's way better with it than without it. Oh,
0: I agree. Yeah. I, I think VAR's been wonderful. I think it just more shows the flaws within our refereeing system than with the technology itself. I have no problems with VAR. I think most people, those who say it was better before, it's almost like saying, well, oh, yeah, well, Again, if we don't if we don't look at the situation with, with with a with a microscope, it's everything's sunshine and roses. But obviously if you apply that microscope, then then it's gonna be different, isn't it? Like you say. Well, yeah,
1: you are right to say as well that it, it is that it is the referees who are making mistakes, yeah. but ultimately, ultimately the reason for that is because who wants to be a referee? I mean, I do, I do it, but, but not many people do it. You know, it's, it, it's a job that, that not many people want to do. And if there are fewer and fewer people, as there are, there are hundreds of, of referees across the country who give up every single year because yeah. they absolutely hate doing it. Well, imagine if we only had, you know, a couple of hundred footballers, the standard of football wouldn't be oh, the same. Depends as what, what? depends what so. couple
0: of hundred footballers were playing, I suppose, isn't it there? I well, I mean, I it's
1: one of those that the, the more the more you've got trying to do the job, the better it's going to be. So it's ultimately mm-hmm. it's it is football's own fault that this is the case anyway. If we made it a nicer job to do and a better job to do instead of, you know, abusing people on touch touchlines of under sevens matches, maybe <laughs> we'd uh, maybe we'd have. A different sort of perspective and a, a different sort of quality and standard of, of refereeing, generally
0: speaking, like a man who's been scarred with, uh, with the abuse in those refereeing matches. Matt, I think, I think I, I think I'd give a bit back myself. I can see where Mike Dean gets his ego from. Now you mentioned it, I think that's a that's a very fair point and a good common sense uh, argument to spin to spin that. Really, because again, as football fans, we can be quite irate uh, when we see decisions go against us. But again, these are people; these are human beings, and they just try to do the best job possible. So I think it's a nice way to sort of round that discussion off really like I say from Leic- like, like Harry said sorry from Leicester's point of view it's a bit of a disappointing start to the season really um, but again they'll be fighting on two fronts in Europe as well and from Brighton by the way what a wonderful start they've had actually I, m- I must say that four wins out of five fighting right at the top of the table uh, really 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 good start by Graham Potter. I think he's a fantastic manager and I, always, I do actually always think if they had a proven Premier League forward up there they'd more than solidify that top half finish. I think Pai and Welbeck are problems. They can cause issues. They are difficult to handle. But are, is either of them a, a ten plus a year guarantee goal scorer? Probably not. Maybe Malpai to push. If they had someone who could guarantee that, I think they'd be top half no problem. They play some wonderful stuff, and he's a great manager. Will go on to big things. I think Norwich Watford was a, had the feel uh, of an early six uh, early season six pointer really. And it's not making good reading for Norwich, is it, at the moment, Harry? I mean, are you looking at Norwich as a team, potentially, that your team might be leapfrogging uh, or, or or hopefully... I mean, if anyone finishes below Norwich, it's looking like they will be going down at this point.
2: Yeah, completely. I, I feel for Norwich and I feel for their fans. I know they get a, a lot of stick there. They're the, the biggest yo-yo club going, mm-hmm. really. I thought the optimism around the Norwich fans this season was a lot more than ever before, really, for Premier League season. They do think they've... Boasted their squad to the best they have for a well, long time. Well, I did.
0: I put them 16th, yeah. and now I'm thinking, what was I doing?
2: I had them rock bottom, but oh, I don't well. know. that. <laughs> yeah. But they got beat off a off a better side, and are oh, Watford that good? Mm. I wouldn't say Sar's so. SARS very good. SARS very good, but very Wolves good. played them off the park the week before, and we all know what yep. happened to them this weekend. Yeah. So it's a difficult one. I do think it's going to be two sides Norwich and Watford are both going to be fighting relegation this season, but. Mm. Five games, five defeats for Norwich. You've just got to hope for their sake they can they can pick some form up soon. And I do think it will come. Carroll Road is a, a, mm. is a quite a tough place to go. I think it's a good ground. I've been a few times. Oh. but you you fear that's them, awesome. especially when they saw Blandir at the start of the season. Yep. You know how many sides come into the Premier League and immediately sell the best player. Yeah. You wouldn't see Brentford selling Ivan Toney. You wouldn't no. see Watford selling Sarr. So it's the way they run their football club, though.
0: That, that's it, it. Yeah it's quite simplistic, but Norwich's midfield's generally quite good, but their attack's not quite potent enough and the defence is a bit shambolic at this level. Even with Kabak in, Kabak and Gibson, it's Kabak and Hanley actually in that game, but again, Kabak struggling a little bit. It's the way they play, isn't it? They play high risk, the and the high risk kind of play requires really a, a higher level st- uh, type of player. That's why teams at the bottom generally play a bit less expansively to, to compensate for the fact they've not got the higher level player within there, but... Norwich don't do that. Daniel Farker doesn't do that. They play that high risk and obviously at times that's going to leave them in a very difficult position. As you say, if they sell their star player just before the season starts. So hopefully they can do something. I was optimistic for them. That's probably not a good thing. Um, And it's it's not, it's not, they're not doing too well at the moment. And Watford, big win for them. They really needed it because they were on a bit of a downward spiral. Anyway, last one from the Premier League, actually, just briefly before we touch on a bit of Europe, uh, was, the, was, was as you said Harry the Wolves, the Wolves and the Brentford game um, James I mean we talk about those two promoter clubs Brentford have been amazing they, they can pass the ball through the lines they can play direct to Tony they can be physical they can play good, easy on the eye football they can do just about everything and, and in that back three system that, that, that Frank's put out there they are taking the league by storm in many ways they look like an established Premier League outfit already
3: yeah, I suppose it is. The, the main thing you can say about Brentford's performance was, you know, I think they're probably the first team this season to actually outplay Wolves. Mm. You know, United and Spurs both got wins off Wolves, but were the second best team in in each game. You know, Wolves uh, have been very unlucky so far this season, but they looked like the Wolves of last year mm. against Brentford. Now, whether that was poor performances or, or from a Wolves perspective, or or good performances from Brentford to get uh, two nil wins against. Uh, Arsenal and Wolves, so it did finish 2 0, didn't it? I'm not making myself look stupid there, yeah. <laughs> to get, yeah, to, to pick up those sort of scalps against t- such accomplished Premier League teams, it goes without saying. This is, the, you know, the first season in the Premier League, and, and the, they're doing things like this. So, it's, it's they've obviously got a, a very good manager in Thomas Frank, whether you, you like him or not off the pitch, he, there's no doubt, and he's a very good manager. But it's a pretty humble squad, as well, isn't it? It's not a, a team of superstars. That Even you'd see with, with Watford, where they've got Ismail Saw, who, who could get into most Premier League teams. I think you've only really got Ivan Tony who's any sort of player of, of substance in terms of how other people regard him. But yeah, he's such a cohesive unit. And I think that they're, they're, the way it's going, uh, providing there's no sort of horrific downfall, they're looking pretty good to stay up.
0: They are looking pretty good, Stoke. I mean, you're quite right. Wolves as well. It was a bad day for them at the office, but they've performed so well this season. And Jimenez is still not quite firing. I do feel sorry for him every time he goes in for a header. I'm thinking, oh, given the obviously the situation that he had, and he obviously took the head the head guard off at one point, suggesting I think uh, the manager Bruno Larger suggested that. He was actually affecting the way he was heading the ball, which is understandable. Maybe that's why he hasn't been quite as efficient with his headers, missed a good chance against Brentford. But again, the way Wolves have been playing under large, I think they have absolutely no worries this season. A lot more expansive and easy on the eye than they were under Nuno Espirito Santo last year. And I just think it's keep up that level of performance. There'll be nothing wrong with them, given what we've seen from other teams this season. In terms of across Europe, then really, there's been a lot of a lot of the big boys haven't featured yet because well, many of them were involved in uh, European action, of course, in the week, and some are playing as this podcast is being recorded, Sunday night time, and some people, and many of them are playing tomorrow as well. So likes of Juventus, Real, PSG, Barcelona, all featuring in games tomorrow. And Milan, of course, playing uh, Juventus, actually, the probably the biggest one at the time of this recording. Uh, Milan, Juventus, uh, so many of the, those teams not involved. But I have to say, just sort of touching on a few that have played Inter winning 6-1 against Bologna after many thought that they weren't being clinical enough in front of goal that's quite a good way to respond to that and Jecko scoring a brace in that coming off the bench Inter losing to Real Madrid 1-0 that was a disappointing result for them as well Rodrigo with a late goal I think from the other Milan perspective as well it was quite a it was a brilliant game, actually, to watch. I'm sure Matt would agree with the, with the Milan-Liverpool match at Anfield, the return of a, of a very wonderfully historic fixture for Liverpool. Uh, from Milan's perspective, though, I think anyone impress you? For me, I thought Tomori was outstanding, actually, as that left centre-back. really, It beggars belief how he hasn't been picked for an England squad, doesn't it, in many ways?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly does. Yeah, when you look at one or two other players in that position and, and how well he's done, by all accounts, I've not seen a, a huge amount of him other than on Wednesday night, but I thought he was, was brilliant. And I did think Liverpool were better than than one goal, better than Milan. Yeah. They should have made it far more comfortable. But there were there were certain performances within that team that you looked at and... And thought were really good. Obviously, the goalkeeper is one we all know. Obviously, mm. the success that he had last season, and Tamori was the other one. I thought you know they, they spent a fair bit of money on him, so you'd mm. expect him to to be that sort of level. But yeah, he, he looked like a player that you kind of wondered why Chelsea, given they play three at the back, why why they would let him leave because you know at some point it, it might be might be one of those that that possibly could have been could have been useful.
0: I believe he was he was there was a buyback clause that was that had to happen or or AC Milan could trigger it and it was set while Frank Lampard was in charge of the club I think so when Tuchel came in I bet he was quite annoyed himself that he couldn't play him in that left centre-back role although Rudiger is bossing that left centre-back role so I suppose uh, he might not have featured in every single game but yeah really good in terms of the progressive passes forward and no Ibrahimović as well Ibrahimović who leads the line for Milan Uh, 40th birthday coming up remarkable footballer one of my favourite as I say quite a lot on podcasts but even without Ibrahimović, I think, you know, Milan, Harry did have uh, as a team, they, they played with, with a very, uh, with a swagger. And even though even though Matt quite rightly says Liverpool should have won by more, they contributed to a wonderful game of football and really did themselves a, a credit and Serie A credit as well.
2: It's great to have AC Milan back in the Champions League mm. and back competing at the top level of European football. I watched the game, Liverpool were clearly the better side, yeah. but they easily could have been... Three button up straight after the, after the restart. But no, like, like we said, good to have AC Milan back in. But I don't think they're going to be contesting for the Champions League trophy this season. But no, great to have them back. It's I, they, I, you think that Barcelona are going to go down a similar spiral to AC Milan. So hopefully, Barcelona waiting that long to be back.
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, Barcelona play on Monday night, actually, and uh, they play Bayern in midweek, and it was honestly men against boys. How they didn't win five or six, I'll, I'll never know. It was Bayern in third gear. And Julian Nagelsmann as well, we said uh, on previous pods, they did start the season slightly slowly. There were a few things that needed to be integrated. But honestly, it was so sad to watch from a neutral perspective, the decline of Barcelona in front of a 31,000 uh, at the nu- camp now. Now, that was based on COVID restrictions as well, but Again, it still looked quite sad to see it so empty. and It's even sadder to see the standard of football on display, a Barcelona team, team just pinging balls up to uh, de Jong in the hope that he'd hold it up and feed Depay. And it was just so sad. And and the decline was ridiculous. I know Bayern are fantastic and they won this weekend 7-0 against Bochum. Uh, so they are, again, finding their stride and they are probably going to win another Bundesliga under, under Nagelsmann. Possibly another Champions League as well, because this 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 certainly looked the part against Barcelona. But it's so sad, isn't it, James, to see a, a club of that stature decline in the way that it has so quickly with the departure of Lionel Messi and Griezmann. Well,
3: as well. obviously, it is sad to see a European giant go, but Barcelona terrorised my childhood footballing wise. You know, they, they, <laughs> derived, they deprived me of three Champions Leagues. So yeah. you know, so you have um, to know. but. No, I, I, you're never happy to see what they're going through. But it, it's obviously sad. It's, it's it's sad in the fact of how avoidable it was, mm. how poorly managed that club was from the top. You know, you, you could see it coming from a mile off as soon as you're willing to spend £150 million on Coutinho, £120 million on Griezmann, £100 million on Dembele. It's, it's, it's just your stupidity. You look at the fees or the fact that they're trying to get rid of these players and, and the fees that they're asking now. It just, you know... It beggars belief how this hasn't come sooner, you know, paying a player like Griezmann 800 grand a week, you know, giving Messi a contract of over a million a week. He's a great player, but you've got to have expected these things to happen. I think as sad as it is, it's hard to feel sympathy for the the higher-ups because they've bought it on themselves entirely.
0: Mm, no, I completely agree, completely agree. I mean, just uh, Dortmund as well did have actually played as well in the Bundesliga, winning 4-2 over Union Berlin. haaland brace setting the tone for Dortmund, and then they also beat Besiktas 2-1, goal from Haaland, goal from Bellingham as well. Wonderful talent Bellingham is. He's just getting better and better. They're going to have another 80, 90, 100 million pound in the bag counting, not too uh, long, I don't think. Uh, just Just ridiculous how they bring through players, recruit players at such an age and then bring them through. In such a manner, as well to sell them on for such an extortionate amount of money. Atletico, as well, actually, Matt will be playing Liverpool in in your little group of death. Uh, two back to back nil nils, nil nil against Bilbao in the league, nil nil against Porto in the Champions League. I sort of insinuated this, I think, on p- previous podcasts. But Diego Simeone is a wonderful manager, and he and his style so obvious, and and the the fans love him. But with the the talent of riches they've got in attacking areas now, I can't help but think. Well, maybe he's also a bit of a detriment to some of those when you've got Jao Felix, who actually got sent off this weekend with two bookable offences after coming off the bench. You've got Jao Felix, you've got Griezmann. Um, you've got, a, well, a plethora. I don't want to go through the whole, but a plethora of attacking options and you're still playing quite a rigid, low block kind of manner. Something almost Sean yes, but you sort of think it would... <laughs> is it necessarily a good thing that he's got so much money to spend that he arguably has now the best squad in La Liga? Or is it a little bit almost like exceeding the manager in his kind of style?
1: I think it's a bit of a shame, personally, that they they don't go for it a little bit more. But obviously, they've won the title last season. They've got the the results to, to be able to, to do that. And ultimately, if they win the league again this season, which I think there's a pretty good chance that, that they will, mm you can't really argue with it. As long as as long as they win, it'll be fine. I, I do wonder, you know, long-term for, for someone like Xiao Phoenix, it would be a bit of a shame if he had to play that sort of football for his entire career. I think he's he's better than that, to be honest, for, for want of a better phrase. Um, yeah. But ultimately, again, if, if he wins the league every season, that will be what matters most to him it'd be interesting to see if if they were to go two or three seasons without winning anything yeah would they get frustrated but i don't know i think at the moment they're probably the team to to beat in in la liga which says a lot about probably the other teams in there as much as anything else but as long as as long as they're up there and, and they win it it's not really an issue is it
0: I mean, there were some fantastic goals and fantastic games in Europe. I mean, West Ham, BT Zagreb, wonderful goal from Declan Rice as well uh, in that game. But the Leicester-Napoli game as well, if Napoli win this weekend, actually, they haven't played yet as well, they will go to the top of Serie A. Napoli in that Leicester, I thought that was a fantastic game. And Harry, I think from the Napoli to Napoli perspective and the Leicester perspective as well, Napoli with a wonderful player up top in Osimhen. he hasn't necessarily got as many goals as he'd like for the 70 million euro price tag, but my God, what a handful. Leicester just couldn't handle him at all. And that first goal, most nonchalant chip I've seen in a long time when the uh, Schmeichel comes flying out. And it, what a talent he is. If he can only add more clinicalness to his game, he's a superstar. And he's only
2: 22 years of age as well. Yeah. He's got a long time ahead of him. We've seen with strikers, they don't really hit the prime until they 28 and 29. So... Yes, he's not had the the ideal start to his career with Napoli, but he's only going to get better year in and year out. And a great performance against Leicester, and it was a it was a really really good game to watch, wasn't it?
0: Oh, fantastic! As a neutral, it was fantastic. Anyway, again, Colin was quite Twitter. sad. He wasn't happy again. He was never happy that that, but uh, yeah, no, it was. Uh... <laughs> I, I take that back. He might listen to this. He's always happy. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, fantastic. I think it, it, it was a wonderful, there's some wonderful games this week here. We were, really were treated. I haven't even touched on United Young Boys, but James, I won't do that to you. Tough tough day at the office. Tough day at the office. But thank you for coming on both of you. And thank you for Harry. Thank you for Harry for stepping into the co-host kind of chair. It wasn't really a co-host, but you did You did a wonderful job of, of guesting and offering your insights. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I'd uh, see that's was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> Could try it, Do it with gritted teeth, the niceties. But also a big thanks as well to Matt and to James.
1: No problem, mate. Any time. Yeah, thanks for having me
3: on.
0: That was very seamless. I was worried about if you were just going to jump over each other, but very, very good. Um be sure to follow that. I will put the acts in the description because of course I, I know it can be difficult to know how things are spelled and whatnot and i won't do that to them to spell their own names out and so on so put the apps in the description and be sure to follow them on twitter be sure to follow well harry on twitter as well I'll put your at in there as well that's nice of me isn't it also but most importantly be sure to give us what well, you've listened so be sure to give us a subscribe give us a review on all good podcasting platforms it's really really helpful for the reach of the podcast i know i said this at the start but it's always good to reinforce it at the end Until next week, thank you for listening. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.